0: Let's continue on with this. The plan this afternoon is, when I get done, he's going to start your counseling sessions. So, so are we done? let's wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm 92 slides into 168, so, just sweet. so, so well, we're, we're more than halfway home. Need to take that for egg, no? just Fortunately, <laughs> most of what we're going to do this afternoon is stuff that you've already heard and are pretty familiar with. We, we don't have too much more of the sea the stuff. So let's look at poisonings by absorption. Um, this is something that is fairly common to this area. And you can see that this will fall into categories of organophosphates as well as carbamates. Um, some of the common household things where you see this would be in pesticides uh incesticides, uh flea collars, things like that. Uh, the carbamates, you know sarin and somon and 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 things like that are not that common. These are actually chemicals that have been used in terrorist attacks around uh the world. There was some sarin gas let go in a subway system in Japan. Um, there have been threats of this showing up uh, in other areas, so uh, that's something that that we need to be familiar with just based on the threat of an attack on this country that may involve our response to uh, something of this magnitude. I took a course oh, five or six years ago, it was just after the 9/11 things, and they had us go to these bioterrorism conferences and things. And this lasted a week, and it was put on by Des Moines Fire and some groups out of Kansas City. But at any rate, we covered most of the common poisonings and things. But our scenario at the end of this, they gave us a uh, paper scenario and. The groups in the room were police, fire, EMS, uh, county sheriffs, and and so on and so forth. And the scenario, I'm from Cedar Falls, you all know, involved a football playoff game in the Unidome where there were 16,000 people and sarin gas had been let go uh, in this crowd. And we were supposed to concoct a response and management of something of that magnitude. And it wasn't until that point that I realized just how devastating uh, stuff like that had been. Most of what you respond to are on such a smaller scale that it's pretty easy to contain, to get the the special uh, equipment and teams there is not a big deal, but in this scenario there were 5,000 people dead on scene and the other 11,000 panicked and went out into the community. And before we could mobilize and begin to secure this area there were about 6 or 7,000 of them that were just wandering around Iowa that were contaminated So another 2,000 died within the first two hours uh, after the attack. But um, the fact that it took us several hours to get the National Guard and all the people into the area to seal it off and control it, that we had to lock down hospitals. We had to set up mobile hospitals and, and schools and Uh, places around the area to transport people, that the resources that you take for granted um, are suddenly not available to you and you've got an overwhelming amount of people to deal with. It is um, quite harrowing to figure out how to handle something like that. So hopefully nothing... (coughs) Uh, along the lines of sarin or, or anything ever happens uh, in this country, but we need to be prepared for it uh, in any case. Now, organophosphates, as I mentioned, are common and very common in this state because of the pesticides and the insecticides and the farm chemicals that the agricultural community uses. Um, you have these in your home. I mean if you're using something to to uh sprinkle on your roses or in your garden or something the chances are uh it fits into the organophosphate category. So um to be exposed to this is is not really that uncommon. You've heard me tell the tale of the the highway patrol officer who responded to what was thought to be a plane crash that turned out to be a spray pane that was spraying a field and he ran through a freshly sprayed bean field for 200 yards uh, to get to the cockpit of a plane that had landed safely and nobody was actually hurt. But he absorbed all this pesticide through his skin. And that's the main route that organophosphates will enter the body. It's mostly through absorption. Now, you will inhale a fair amount of it, you can ingest a fair amount of it, but the main route in with organophosphate seems to be through absorption. So um, a dermal route, they'll refer to that as. So when they are contaminated with this, this is the wet presentation, this inhibits the anti affect, affects, and the body uh, goes into this response that's often referred to as a sludge response. Sludge is simply an acronym that stands for salivation, lacrimation, urination, defecation, um, emesis. So, in other words, they begin to drool, they begin to slobber, Their eyes water profusely. They tear up. Um, They will sometimes lose bowel and bladder control. They'll get some GI distress. can be nausea and vomiting. And they um, can't defend themselves of this. This is just an overwhelming uh, sort of thing. Uh, You will work the patient through, and there's a good chance their heart rate's going to be quite slow, at least initially. They may have some seizures, some tonic-clonic movement, uh, uncontrolled, unpurposeful movements of their muscles, and they could have coughing and bronchospasms to the effect that uh, it may mimic an asthma attack. Uh, Dilated pupils. Um, Now, because this is an airborne sort of thing, um, you may be exposed to it. So um, the fact that they got it through some type of adsorption, the threat is always going to be present with you responding to it. So you have to make certain that you're uh, protected, that... You have the suits and the things that would be necessary to go in and remove a patient from this area. If you don't, then you have to call the right people, which is more than likely the fire department. And even the fire, within the fire department, they'll have specialized teams that, that go in, these hazmat teams that will um, set up and bring these people out to you. Uh, there needs to be a t- decontamination process. So they will go through usually a three-step decontamination where they'll remove their clothes, wash them down, uh, move them into a second station where they'll scrub them down, wash them down, and then finally they'll rinse them. And then at that point, they're brought somewhere into an area where you will handle them. And at that point, then the patient care will begin. Uh, Prior to that, uh, they're still dangerous and contaminated. Well, your management isn't going to be any different than any other patient. So you're going to look towards airway breathing circulation and manage that appropriately. Um, O2 is good in this situation, but you may have to use some positive pressure simply because of the bronchospasms and the inability in the fluids uh, that are coming up through the airway system. Uh, Suction if you need to. Uh, The bradycardia can be handled with atropine, but atropine also, being a parasympathetic blocker, will shut down this sludge effect, Uh, these anticholarnestic cascades that's going on. um, This will dry them up, and it doesn't take too long uh, to bring them out of this. Now, bradycardia you know, from the cardiac standpoint, isn't handled any different than it is in ACLS. So, you know, you'll give a half a milligram up to a milligram IV. And then for uh, the sludge stuff, you may give one to two milligrams IM. So this'll be a, a deep muscular injection, and that will stay in the system quite a bit longer and work uh, against this. And in fact, you will start to see the the drying effects in in, in quite possibly in the first couple hours. So, and you know, they may have to give these IM injections every hour for several hours to get them out of this uh, response. Yeah? Do those IM injections count towards the max disc? The three milligrams you're talking about? Um, there is no max in organophosphate. Uh, there is a max So that's just in in ACLS and cardiac. Gotcha. So that's a good point, yeah. Um, in a cardiac situation, you're using the atropine to block the vagus nerve. And three milligrams, you've accomplished everything you've set out to do. Okay. And quite possibly you've done it with one milligram, but so you're just going after different yeah, like the parts there. Of the body kind of right, right. So now we're going after something else with the IM injections. So um, that may require more. So no, the three milligram max doesn't apply in an organophosphate poisoning. It wouldn't be unusual to see 12, 14, 16 milligrams of atropine given uh, for a a serious uh, reaction to organophosphates. You won't have enough with you. To handle the situation, his chances are you're going to have probably only three milligrams in your drug kit, and you'll have a spare with you, so you may have six milligrams. But um, the atropine that you inject intramuscularly will not come in 10 cc's of fluid. You know, it'll be a much more concentrated dose to where it's probably in a milligram. So or a milliliter, you'll, a milligram per milliliter is usually what you'll see. So you may get little small ampules that have two milligrams of atropine and two milliliters of solution, and you'll draw those up and, and do it that way. Um, the 2-pam chloride is for the carbonate stuff, and this would be the sarin and, and stuff like that. Um, it can be used in organophosphates, but typically it's not. Um, usually the atropine uh, responds well to that. So uh, there's a lot of 2 chloride around, and it's for these terrorist attacks. Most of the military is latched onto this stuff right now, and they've got warehouses of it in this country. So, you know, if there was a sizable exposure or one of these attacks, Um, that stuff would be activated and brought in. Now, most of your disaster management teams, and Doug can speak to this better than I can because he heads that up down here, knows where that stuff's at. (laughs) Um, There's some of it here that would be made available to the teams immediately if there would be an exposure. So the frontline medical personnel and response personnel would, would... be given this stuff. You know, it, it, there was talk about uh, a few years ago of just letting us all have some of it, but they decided that wasn't very smart, that, you know, we would lose it or it would get stolen or it would fall into the hands of the wrong people and it wouldn't be very controlled. So, you know, our our current administration uh, likes to keep things in a big warehouse and hidden away from from all of us, so uh, that's where that stuff is at. Now, the diazepam, which is Valium, or the lorazepam, which is Ativan, uh, would be used for the seizure activity, okay, the tonic-clonic spasms and that muscle contractures is what that would be used. So any questions on the organophosphate stuff? As sure as we're sitting here, at some point in your career, you will have organophosphate exposures. Most of it will be related to agricultural stuff. I mean, there's way too many, you know, they spray weeds in ditches all the time, and if the wind is is wrong, um, you know, this can blow into a house and uh, contaminate somebody or expose somebody and... And you'll have to deal with that. Hopefully, you never have to deal with the terrorist attack or anything on that magnitude. Prescription drug abuse or non-recreational you know recreational drugs, that's probably the biggest thing uh, that you'll deal with in terms of poisonings and overdoses. Um, even if prescribed, you know, taking the, the doses out of that prescribed range uh, can lead to problems. And right now, that problem is growing greater and greater in this country with uh, being able to purchase stuff on the Internet, being able to shop for docs, you know, uh, the fact that medicine has taken on such a specialized approach now that you can go to three or four physicians and pick up prescriptions uh, for the same thing. Um, The most common is going to be a narcotic some type of opiate. Uh, stimulants are out there. The hallucinogens are still around uh, and depressants are still around. But far and away it's gonna be the opiates, the narcotics. Uh, we have a stimulant problem in this state with the methamphetamine production, but far and away uh, it would be the painkillers and the narcotic opiates. I mean, that's something that spans all the generations. That doesn't just include the, the meth heads, you know, the, the 16 to 30-year-olds that seem to be in that group. Uh, the opiates will go all ages. You know, your elderly people will uh, abuse this stuff. All right, so what will you deal with? Well, any adverse effect that is brought on by it. Um, you can see the routes and the methods that they use to uh, introduce this into their body can be, be an issue here. There can be some infections, some abscesses, some problems from IV injections as well as intradermal injections of opiates, um, accidents um, during intoxication. In other words, you know, they get so impaired that they go out and crash their car or they fall and uh, now suddenly you're dealing with a trauma that, at the underlying condition, is a drug overdose. Uh, almost all of your motor vehicle situations will have some uh, involvement of some type of drug or alcohol, uh, it, it seems anyway. Uh, and then drug dependence or the withdrawal symptoms um, that we mentioned in, in the previous presentation. As I said, it's common among all the socioeconomic economic groups. Um, it doesn't matter what background they come from, what age they come from. Uh, illicit drug use in the United States has been a problem for a number of years and will continue to be a problem um, with the way things are being handled. It seems that uh, if the federal government corrals one uh, problem, uh, these chemists just go to work and create something else just as quickly as they take one out of circulation. Alright, so what are you looking for here? Well any alteration in behavior or level of consciousness uh, is usually the giveaway. Uh, there can be seizures, there can be coma, respiratory depression, uh, even death will will be involved in a lot of this. So um, this is what you'll be dealing with in terms of your treatment regimens. Uh, airway breathing circulation, as if that's any different, but it will be on a much grander scale here. You will um, have to be a little more aggressive than just the ordinary management of this. Even the drugs in your uh, ambulance can be uh, subject to some of these people. Um, Over the years, um, ambulances have been robbed We've had drugs stolen out of our ambulances on scenes, and uh, that will continue to be a problem. They're trying to secure these things better than they have, but any time you're out with a patient, you know, and your ambulance is left unattended, um, it's a sitting target for some of these people. I'll tell you, one of their favorite targets was when you would come into the hospitals. You know, you'd come into a hospital on a particular side of town and it wouldn't even have to be that side of town, it could be any hospital. Uh, These junkies, these people will stake out the ambulance garages and they know that when you come in you're going to be focused on your patient, you're going to unload them and you're going to take them into the hospital and in the meantime your ambulance is sitting open in the garage. And before you can get back to it, they will ransack that thing and take everything that's uh, your needles. They will take your drugs, um, anything that they can get a hold of. I remember going into a Waterloo hospital and losing our drug kits, lost our whole jump kit and the drug boxes. And the doctor who happened to be working the ER that night, was also the head of the methadone clinic, and he asked us a couple questions about where we had been and how it had happened, and he says, I think I know who has that stuff. And he says, what, what are your intentions if I can get this back for you? So said, we just want it back. You know, I mean, the narcotics are one thing, they can have those, but, you know, the cardiac drugs and some of the other stuff in there is really dangerous if they don't know what it is. Well, he assured us that most of these people are walking pharmacies and knew more about it than we did, which I probably believed, but he made one phone call and said, if you go to this area, you can have your stuff back, but don't look for the narcotics to be in it. And that's what we did. And it was just leaning neatly against a telephone pole and <laughs> inside of town and both the kits had been broken open and the only things missing was the Valium, the Morphine, and the Demerol. All the rest of the drugs were left right as they were. So um, these people knew very well. Down in Des Moines at Mercy, they eventually had to station police in the garages there. That um, You had to radio it in. They'd open the door, and these police officers would step out, and as that door closed, make certain that nobody would come in. Um, behind you because that's in a rougher area of Des Moines and they were having a lot of problems with their equipment getting stolen uh, while they were unloading patients. So uh, just keep that in mind that you know, you're know you carrying around uh, something of value to these people and they call and you show up. So they can pretty much lure you into anywhere and most of their motive is, is what you're carrying with them. So scene safe, safety, make sure you know what you're getting into before um, you go in. If it doesn't look right, don't do it. Make certain that the police secure this. So. All right. Toxic effects. Well, the overdose uh, is the biggest thing, you know, the fact that uh, they can alter their vital signs to the point of killing themselves. Uh, potential suicide is one of the motives that they will use. Uh, poly drug administration, well, you know, the prefix poly refers to many. So, many drug administrations. And yeah, these people will take a lot of drugs. And in particular, your elderly folks. You know, it's not unusual for them to have an entire grocery bag full of medications when you go in there. So accidental ingestions, we've identified that. Miscalculations, yeah, that is possible. Um, Most people don't know the difference between a microgram, a milligram, uh, a gram. So you're learning about that now, but there's a wide difference in the amount of drug that you ingest in these situations. So um, keep that in mind. So there it is, scene safety. Uh, Prepare for unpredictable and sometimes even violent behavior. Uh, Ordinarily when you go into a scene where there's been an overdose or any of this is involved, you want law enforcement in front of you, uh, if not right beside you. Uh, Your focus is going to be the patient and patient management, so when the scene is safe and you can go in, you're going to immediately focus on the airway breathing and circulation. you're going to have to collect as much information as you can, you know, who, what, when, where, why and how. Uh, all the history that goes along with this uh, that you can take with you is going to be of value. If you can identify what it is, if you can't, bring as much evidence as you can with you, which may include vomit. <laughs> you know, if they've thrown up and there are particles of pills or something in there, Uh, That may be the only source of identification for you, so you're going to have to load some of that up and and take it with you. Um, As soon as you think you know what's going on, don't delay. Uh, Begin transport, make contact with medical control as soon as possible so they can move in and uh, begin to consult poison control on how to manage this situation. Time is of the essence usually in this. You know, every minute that goes by, the body is absorbing more and more toxins. So you, given a heads up to the ER, them being able to contact poison control allows lead time to set up some of these procedures uh, that take a little bit of time so that when you arrive, they can go to work right away. Continue with your exams, your focus history. Uh, look for the unobvious. You know, Just because you've identified the drug and you're pretty certain that that's what's going on, uh, you still need to go up and down the patient and do a complete physical exam and see what else you can find. Uh, monitor the vital signs and the cardiac rhythm. In fact, trend this out. All right, Get your baseline set on arrival. And from there, trend it out so we know which direction these things are going. You notice that throughout all this presentation that these drugs and chemicals have different effects on the cardiac and central nervous system. And initially they are present with a slow heart rate and then it gets faster or vice versa. So the trend of your vital signs is extremely important. Blood sugar monitoring. Uh, any patient that you have with an altered level of consciousness who is behaving uh, inappropriately uh, along any lines we want to take a blood sugar on. So that doesn't just apply to the suspected drug overdose or or, uh, chemical exposure. Uh, This could be alcohol, this could be um, head injury, this could be uh, diabetes, it could be anything that would lead for them to behaving Uh, inappropriately. IVs, start an IV, get a line in, because of the nature of this uh, things can change drastically and you want to be able to access IV uh, when it's easy to do. You know, you don't want to have to do this when you're fighting with them, you don't want to have to do it when they're completely collapsed down. So the sooner you can get that in the better off you are. Uh, you've also noticed that a lot of these chemicals and drugs affect blood pressure, so you want to have something in place to where you can uh, maintain a pressure if you, if you lose that. So uh, get that in as quickly as you can. And then, of course, uh, it's a route for any of the anecdotes, or it's also a route to uh, use the cardiac drugs if you need to. Find out if they want you to content- or decontaminate the GI tract. You know, if that's simply administering activated charcoal or anything along that line and get them to the hospital. Opiates, heroin's about 90% of the narcotic abuse in this country, and that has grown dramatically in the last few years. As I mentioned, heroin has found its way back into this state, and the alarming thing about it is it's way more potent than it used to be. It's cheaper and it's a lot stronger and consequently there have been 30 some deaths in Iowa since the first of the year from heroin overdoses. Most of those have been in Scott, Lynn, Johnson, Polk counties. So the larger metropolitan areas uh, is where this is is showing up. Um, Other things that, that might be included, morphine, the hydromorphone, uh, which is usually dilated. methadone, meparidine is Demerol, codeine, the oxycodone, which is the oxycontins, propoxyphene, which is the Darvon and the Darvacets, and any of the designer opiates, so uh, any of these drugs. Now, Darvon is a painkiller and still quite popular. Darvon itself is mixed in with aspirin, Darvaset is mixed in with acetaminophen. So if there's any aspirin sensitivities, they will give them the, the darvaset. This is the same way with Percodan and Percocet, they, it just, the, the vehicle is either aspirin or it's Tylenol, and uh, it, it just depends on what's going on there. Most of these are taken orally. Uh, they can be injected intravenously. Uh, The main lining is the most dangerous, and you're well aware of that. Uh, Once they put that in, they can't get it back. If they put too much in, they can't uh, cover that mistake up. They're going to have to hang on and take the ride, and wherever that takes them, uh, hopefully that doesn't involve you, but uh, many times it does because they're going to go down, and they're going to down fast and and hard. The injected intradermally skin-popping thing Um, This happens, but usually we don't see a lot of overdosing from this. What we see is skin abscess. You know, they mix this stuff up and uh, they inject it underneath the skin and it's absorbed through the the subcutaneous tissues, but it's very caustic and toxic and um, this will literally eat away the skin and create sores that don't heal And uh, eventually they get into uh, infectious situations where almost gangrene is present. You know, these people don't go to the doctor a whole lot. You know, they seem to medicate themselves. So uh, checking in with their physician from time to time to get an antibiotic to clear up their infections is not happening. So uh, eventually they just try and fend this off uh, until they can't anymore. And then that's when you get into it. Uh, intranaserally, that's probably the most popular, which is snorting this stuff. It can also be smoked, but um, a lot of this stuff is is snorted. Uh, A lot of the heroin that's smoked, uh, some of the telltale signs that you'll see on scene would be um, the little glass pipes, Um, you'll see a, a lot of Bic lighters, a lot of propane torches. Um, You'll see a lot of charred aluminum foil laying around and and things like that. Uh, Most of the main liners that overdose, uh, you don't have to look too far to figure that out. Uh, Either there's a lot of needle tracks on their arms or the needle is still in their arm. And most of uh, the stuff that they're using or their paraphernalia uh, is still visible when you go in there. So... Uh, keep that in mind that there uh, is a crime scene that you're in at that point, and uh, the police will be interested in that stuff. Uh, and it will also help you to identify what's going on. I mean, you know, be, uh, you know the, the pathologist is going to be very interested in the purity of this drug and, and what exactly is in it, and, um, you know, then the police will retrace the routes, and hopefully uh, they can avoid more people from becoming victims of this stuff. Uh, Opiates, a central nervous system depressant, and the biggest thing is the respiratory depression. This makes them stop breathing. So um, that's what we want to focus on when we begin to treat them immediately, would be uh, restoring Uh, oxygen to the system. Uh, The opiate overdose, they're in some type of euphoric nod, so they may be drifting in and out of consciousness. Uh, They can also be nauseated from time to time. Uh, The pinpoint pupils is a pretty good giveaway in this. Now there's very few exceptions to this, but there are a few. You know, some people, there's a certain amount of the population that will have a dilated pupil normally all the time. So that's a question to ask, but um, you will see to pinpoint pupils in this, um, coma, seizures. Aggressive airway ventilation, uh, Narcan is the opiate narco- antagonist, and this will release that from their system. So the typical dose of this is about 2 milligrams, and you push this IV, be ready manage the airway. Um, This puts a lot of these junkies into immediate withdrawal which means they're going to throw up. Um, Projectile vomiting is real common when you push this stuff, so not only are they going to wake up and be real mad, they're going to be real sick and they're going to be a handful as soon as you do this. So, uh, you may consider restraints but do it in a fashion that you can manage their airway because um, they're going to get very violently ill uh, as soon as you release this from their system the withdrawals tachycardia the chills the sweats the irritability um, all of that stuff will be present um, and in particular after you push the narcan this is what comes up out of this you know uh, this was a pretty easy case to begin with you know they were quiet they were in a coma they were we're barely breathing, and now suddenly you've got the Tasmanian devil in the back of your ambulance, and they're just ricocheting off the walls. So um, keep that in mind. Hypnotics, um, this fits into the benzodiazepine and barbiturate uh, categories. Benzos kind of replace the barbiturates uh, coming into the 80s. Barbiturates were extremely popular through the 50s and the 60s and early 70s and the problem with those things were they killed people. You know, Barbiturate overdoses led to a lot of death. So benzos, it's a little tougher. It takes a lot more of it and um, they aren't as toxic as the barbiturates. So that's what replaced them and that's what you deal with. Now, benzos have their own side effects and and can be extremely difficult to manage, too. Usually, they're taken orally. Um, A lot of the the IV injectors will dilute this stuff and inject it. Um, Anytime they use alcohol along with this, as well as opiates, it has a synergistic effect, which magnifies it. You can magnify the benzo about 10 times with alcohol. So what seems like a, a, an ordinary dose with a couple shots of whiskey, um, things change pretty drastically, particularly their, their vital signs. Um, many of these people refer to these as downers, so that's exactly what they do is they, they kind of bottom them out. Uh, most of them are prescribed for anxiety, stress. Some of them can be prescribed for seizures, uh, insomnia. Um, the anecdote is ramazicon. And the chances of you carrying that in the pre-hospital se- setting are pretty remote. I mean, we did this for a while. And... If we could identify a benzo overdose, then they would tell us to push it. But they have stopped that for the simple fact that um, if this patient is solely dependent on benzos and you see the side effects, which would be anxiety, seizures, stress, um, you bring these people off of this and do it quickly, uh... they get very violent they get very upset uh... they go into seizures almost into spasms almost catatonic type spasms and it can be very violent so for the most part they would prefer to do that in the ER or in a controlled setting where they can manage them with other sedatives and other things along with this withdrawal so that's kind of been uh, the trend, at least lately. Uh, it just, you know, Ramazikon reacts and it reacts very quickly, and that's what it's designed to do. But sometimes that puts the patient in even more danger. So um, that's been the tendency. Uh, the barbiturates, uh, these were mostly used for uh, anxiety and for insomnia. Uh, a good share of them were uh, for sleeping sleeping-type pills, and capsules and stuff. Um, it didn't take a whole lot of these drugs to uh, shut you down, so that's, that's the benefit of the Benzo. Um, the barbiturates, you can, can get complete cardiovascular collapse and, and stuff with very little of it. Uh, basically, you're gonna manage the airway. Um, Romazicon, maybe. I doubt it. Uh, you know, if it's truly a barbiturate and not a benzo, it's probably not going to have any effect, but they're maybe thinking there's a little of both. But once again, um, you run the risk of putting them into a violent reaction with that. Uh, Contraindicated for that would be if they have a seizure disorder or if they've taken tricyclics. Well, I've got to tell you, you know, if they're truly having an anxiety disorder, they may be on all of the above. So there may be a little bit of everything in there. You know, it's very rare nowadays that you see people treated with one medication. You know, usually give them a little of this and then a little of that. and um, you know, it's important to know what all of them are. Amphetamines, uh, at least the pharmaceutical kind, we don't see as much anymore. These were mood elevators. They were done to uh, improve performances, to suppress appetite, and to prevent sleepiness. Um, appetite suppressants are what, the, what they were popular for for a long, long time. Um, now. Most of what we're seeing is the illegally produced amphetamine stuff, like the methamphetamine. So, And because it's a stimulant, a very powerful central nervous system stimulant, you will see all of the senses and all of the vital signs stimulated because of it. So the heart rate's going to be quick. They're going to have high blood pressure. They should be breathing quickly. Um, Pupils can be dilated with this they can hallucinate uh, paranoia they can be psychotic and usually the psychosis comes from just days without sleep so uh, you know these people because of the psychosis and the paranoia and the hallucinations they're extremely dangerous to us so uh, whenever you're dealing with with anyone along this line Um, Make sure you have plenty of help and there's some law enforcement with you because these scenes can turn um, bad in a hurry. Cocaine, uh, they can use this any way they want. Uh, Most of it's snorted, but it can be IM and IV. Uh, It can be smoked. Um, There's a lot of ways that they will uh, introduce this into their bodies. Uh, Another stimulant, and the trouble with this stuff is it will really be irritable to the heart. So this will create dysrhythmias, seizures, um, can cause brain bleeds. uh, Because of the stimulant powers, Uh, these people will overheat. Uh, This this fools the hypothalamus, and uh, they'll get hyperthermic very quickly. Uh, Basically, we want to try and settle these folks down and get them in. Uh, That may require a benzo of some sort. So, over the years, I have used a lot of Valium for cocaine overdoses in um, situations like this, which settles them down a little bit. It doesn't completely sedate them, but it brings them down to a little more manageable level, uh, and you can get them in. PCP, well, we talked about this. It's a disassociative type drug, which means it alters their sense of reality. It alters, uh, it just takes them to someplace else, and they're not aware of anything that's going on around them. Uh, This was originally designed as an anesthetic for animals, Um, and our druggies out there decided that this was kind of fun, so they started stealing this stuff, and these are very dangerous people. Um, Because of this disassociation, uh, this loss of reality, uh, they're capable of just about anything. Uh, These are the people you hear about jumping off of buildings thinking they can fly or standing in front of trains thinking that they're invisible, and um, this alteration like that makes them extremely dangerous to us. So, they may not view us as someone there to help but quite possibly as an enemy and, and uh, may try to do something about it. Uh, basically, you minimize the stimulus around them, you get people away from them, you try and settle things down. Uh, you know, it's been said that shutting the lights off and uh, turning the music down and, and all that will help. Use your best judgment on this, you know, as to what you think uh, will best minimize what's going on around there. But uh, in all cases, protect yourself and your crew. Um, the unpredictable mood alterations, yeah, we identified that. What's the stigmas? Yeah, their eyes will literally be rattling in their heads. This is a test that police officers use to, you know, you know, not everybody that's impaired is on alcohol. You know, usually you can smell that, and their breathalyzers will pick up on that. But if you're impaired on drugs, you know, there there is no odor, and uh, they can't tell. So they'll do this nystagmus test, which is usually they'll hold their pen up and have you track. And as you track to one side, when you get over there, your eyes start to bounce, and then it'll follow it, and when it gets to the side, they rattle some more. So this is a pretty good indicator that um, they're impaired on something. Now, a a lot of drugs will do this, but PCP, it's very pronounced with that. So um, high-dose... Well, they can be comatose with this, and they'll be basically unresponsive to everything. What you're concerned about here is hyperthermia. You're also concerned about their blood pressure uh, and and seizures in this situation. So manage that appropriately. Um, Antipsychotic drugs, uh, we don't carry enough of them. So we won't have anything to treat them with in this situation, but... Uh, You know, medical control may have some advice for you on on what to use and what may work, but in terms of antipsychotics, um, we really don't have Halidol or anything like that. They'll have a bunch of it when you get to the ER, so they'll they'll do what they can immediately. Hallucinogens, um, still out there and have been since uh, the late 50s. You know, in the communities I've worked in, it comes in waves. It's there for a couple months and then it's gone and then it's back again. And um, typically it's the same age group that uh, is involved with this. It's usually junior high, high school, uh, college-age kids, and not much older than that 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 get involved with it. Um, Common things, PCP we just talked about, but also the the ACID, the LSD. They'll they'll report visual disturbances, hallucinations, and that can be both audio and visual. You know, they'll hear things and they'll see things. Um, Just support them. Take them in. Don't make them mad. Keep them as calm as you can. Tricyclics. This is a big problem because these are everywhere and if there is a more overprescribed drug out there today, I don't know what it is, but um, these are particularly dangerous when they're taken in large quantities. They try not to prescribe these to really depress people in in amounts that will kill them, but what these people do is they will they'll save these up, they'll hoard them, and then take them all at once. So you can see what some of the common ones are. Amitriptyline is real problem. Uh, uh, popular. Uh, um nortriptyline, um, Elavil, you know, is the imprimine. You, you see it all over the place. And the people who have this are kids most of the time. Um, teenage kids in high school, uh, college-age people uh, could be on two or three of these things, and, and this is where it gets to be problematic. Um, there's some of the common trade names, Prozac, you know, they were giving that to everybody for a long time. Uh, Zoloft, which was one of the drugs that our scenario was on in the beginning, if you'll remember, and Paxil. So, um, toxicity, well, the big thing here is the cardiac dysrhythmias. This is something that when they get enough of it in, will start to widen the QRS and lengthen the PR interval. And when that begins to happen, we're getting into some pretty deep water. So you can see the importance of getting a baseline strip uh, when you're on scene. You've identified what it is, but you've also run a rhythm strip so we can see what the intervals were. Uh, 12 lead would be very valuable in a situation like that. Um, look at this, 25 percent of those who die are alert when EMS arrives. Yes, and I have seen this a handful of times. Um, these are the people that we need to get to very quickly and head this off as fast as possible. Um, this is stuff that if we get much beyond the two-hour window with them, uh, we're going to chase our tails. and. Um, the good news is that age group usually calls up a lot of people before they do this. They, they usually alert a lot of people that they're, they're going to do this, and we get to them quickly enough. But if they don't, um, if we find them already in a coma, uh, chances are they're going to die. And there isn't a whole lot that, that any of us can do to, to unhinge that. Uh, we just have to have, we have to, to get there soon in, in this situation. Uh, supportive care, rapid transport. Uh, sodium bicarb will initially help the cardiac toxicity, but it doesn't take it away. It just covers it up for a little while. Uh, benzos for the seizures. Lithium. Uh, lithium is given to bipolar individuals. So the manic depressives are the ones who take this. Um, If they overdose on this, um, this is a very toxic drug. Most of the people who take this have to keep it in a therapeutic threshold dose in their bloodstream for it to work. And if they decide to elevate that for uh, any reason, you will start to see things change on them. And usually it comes in the form of what we've listed as signs and symptoms. But when they push that much further, then they go comatose and it becomes more difficult. Digoxin or Lenoxin, uh, this is a very popular cardiac drug that's out there. A lot of elderly people are on it. And I use Dig and Lenoxin as an example of elderly people not knowing that this is the same drug and maybe overdosing on it. This, again, is a very toxic, it's a very nasty drug and it has to be kept in therapeutic levels in order for it to function. Well, you can see its effects. It affects the SA and the AV nodes. Um, So, if we overdose on this, we're essentially shutting those pacemakers off. You know, we're slowing the firing or the ability of those pacemakers to keep the heart beating. Uh, in that situation, so that that's what makes it extremely uh, dangerous. Dig toxicity is a term that you'll hear a lot through medical emergencies, and it was one that you'll respond to a lot. You know, you'll see uh, dig effects on your 12 leads. You'll see dig effects on your rhythm strips. You'll see dig effects on your patients. You know, usually they're very lethargic and. Uh, nauseated and vomiting, and um, typically it will point back towards taking too much. If you do your sample history, and they're giving you a lot of signs of the flu, and you look at their medications, and DIG is in there, then it's a good idea to take them to the hospital and get a level drawn. It's the only way to know for sure of what's going on with them in this is to get a level. Tachyarrhythmias is what this is given for. You'll see it for atrial fib. You'll see it for atrial flutter. You'll see it for fast rhythms. So that's why it slows down the pacemakers a little bit. Well... If they're on this stuff and their rhythm has sped up, you know, before they allow any of this to be administered, they'll want a blood draw so they know what the the level was before they give that. Emergency care. Well, if we're in deep water, you know, they'll have you use the charcoal. Um, is there a dig specific antidote? Yes, but we won't carry it. Beta blockers, okay, this is what affects the blood pressure. So rapidly absorbed, and again, this affects the cardiac pacemakers, and it leads to bradycardia. AV blocks, slows down the PR interval and the conduction through all of that. Uh, You'll see the widened QRS, hypotension, seizures. Um, Just manage them, get them in. Uh, We can consider glucagon in a situation like this, and we can consider isoprel. Isoprel is pure beta. It's the only pure beta drug that that we used to carry. A lot of them still carry it, uh, and it's for a situation like this. So if the beta blocker has blocked off all the beta effects of the heart, then the logic solution is to put more beta on top of it, and that's, that's what that's for. Let's take a break, get up, walk around for about 10, 15 minutes, and we'll come back and finish this up. Calcium channel blockers. All right. What are calcium channel blockers? They block calcium channels. <laughs> they do. What are some of the drugs that you know of right now that are... Verapamil. Verapamil. Diltiazem, verapamil. okay. So basically, that's what they're on. Do you remember our lady in... The scenario was on some calcium channel blockers. And what they produce are low blood pressure, bradycardia, and along with that you can get some uh, nausea and vomiting as well as some respiratory depression. So negatively this affects the heart's ability to pump. Uh, it blocks the, the calcium from entering the cell that helps the automaticity out is basically what's going on. Uh, What can you do for them? Uh, Basically, you need to get them to the hospital, but uh, routine care, airway, breathing, circulation. Make sure that they're getting plenty of oxygen. Uh, Look at the heart. If you need to use a dysrhythmic, then that's what you would do. If you need to use a basal presser, that's what you would do. Um, At the very least, they might have you give some calcium to override this, but once again, they're going to want to be absolutely certain that's what's going on in this situation. So, MAO inhibitors, um, these block or diminish the activity of the monoamine, which is norepinephrine, dopamine, the serotonin uh, areas of the brain. They're dry, wet, is what we've talked about at this point. And uh, with that, you know, we're thinking organophosphate. Special treatments are the same. Nothing's changed. Find out. They may have to give some, depending on how long it's been in the system, and get them in. Uh, NSAIDs. non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that are very popular and over-the-counter. Basically what these things are for is analgesia and they control fevers. So you can see uh, some of the common ones that are out there. The ibuprofen is what you're probably most familiar with would be Advil and Motrin. Uh, Aleve is the naproxen but you also see these others. Now Basically, these things uh, in large doses can cause some GI upset. Uh, These inhibit the mucus production of the the lining of the stomach, and can cause bleeding and and things along that line as well as uh, stomach pain. Uh, Too many of them will create an acidotic, a metabolic acidotic state, uh, and along with that you may see some uh, movement of the muscles you might see them breathing quickly, and it could lose their pressure and abrade a bradycardic rate. Basically, we find out what, um, how much and when, contact medical control. If it's still early enough in the process, they may have you give uh, charcoal, but for the most part, it's just gonna be supportive result. Uh, salicylate is uh, aspirin, again, gastrointestinal irritation, uh, this creates a heck of a metabolic imbalance in the, in the body. So manage that. Uh, they're gonna be hyperventilating because of this, trying to blow some of this stuff off. Uh, let medical control know this is probably a situation where they'll have you give some bicarb to uh, neutralize that and get them in. Uh, treat the hypoglycemia if that's part of it depending on when this happened and again how much and where we're at, they could have you give uh, charcoal. Tylenol or acetaminophen, uh, you can see the toxic effects. So um, basically what we're trying to avoid is the liver damage, you know, three to five days out. Um, Normally the lab findings won't start to show up for at least 24 to 48 hours and you'll begin to see the liver imbalance, that, that there has been some damage to the liver at that point. Um, get them in. Uh mucomist is, is a drug that they, they have for this in the ERs that will release the Tylenol uh, from the system without uh, causing more damage to the liver. So if it's caught early enough, they can give something, and that will let this stuff go. Uh, activated charcoal only if they tell you to in this situation. Because basically, we don't want to inhibit the mist if, if that's going to be the best treatment with this, so we don't want to get the charcoal in the way of that. Um. Drugs for sexual gratification. Um, we talked about this the other day, so the uppers, the downers, The all-arounders, the uppers would be the ecstasy and the cocaine and the steroids and things like that. The downers, again, are the the alcohol, the heroin, uh, the roofies, the GHB. And the all-arounders would be the ketamine and the marijuana and the poppers. The uppers are a stimulant. The downers are a depressant. The all-arounders will do a little of each. So um, finding out what and how much and, and stuff is important there. Again, a lot of the steroids will cause uh, excitement and will pump the system up. These guys will go into the roid rages and uh, these heightened... You know, they, they get pumped up, and they, they get extremely excited and work out a lot harder than they normally would, and then eventually it just goes way over the top of that. Um, personal safety, find out what. Supportive care, get them in. Alcohol dependence, we talked about that in the stages of it. Ethanol, depends on how much, depends on their weight. Uh, The blood alcohol content is what we want to get a hold of. Uh, Chronic alcohol ingestion, these are the pros. can lead to neurological as well as nutritional deficiencies. This is what the thiamine would be for. This is what the D50 would be for. Um, On the long term, the GI disorders, the cirrhosis of the liver, the pancreatitis, uh, the cardiac and skeletal and muscle myopathy, the immunosuppression, the trauma, um, it all adds up to bad stuff. Basically what these people look like um, is they're thin. Uh, they look like a lemon on toothpicks is, is about the best way to describe their, their appearance to you. Is They've got these little tiny spindly legs and they've got these big protuberant bellies from uh, enlarged livers and, and guts and stuff from that. Uh, they eventually lose the hair on their... Their, their body, you know, they'll have very little body hair because of this. Um, shrinks up uh, just about everything along the way. They have what's called spider angioma, and you'll see this in their face and in their noses, what they call a swigger nose. Um, a, a lot of chronics have these great big large noses, and then they're, they're very vascular. There's uh, a lot of red um vessels are, are towards the, the surface and and you see that in their cheeks and, and mo mostly in their noses. The the pores will be much larger than normal and uh, it's a pretty common sign. So uh, the next time you're no? Leon is? What? Alcohol emergencies? Yeah. So at any rate um, the next time you know somebody who drinks a lot, see if you can't see uh, some of these signs in them. And I, I guarantee you that they're there if they've been at it for, for, for any length of time. So the, the swigger knows. We got that from W.C. Fields. You know, that, that's the spider angioma that, that they talk about. So I suppose you guys don't know who W.C. Fields is. Yeah, no idea. No idea? <laughs> They ever to be <laughs> who knows who W.C. Fields is? Just like two people? Oh, man. Well, he was in all these old-time movies, but he used to, and he had... Never mind. All right. Cute alcohol intoxication. Yes, if you live in a university community, this will take up all your time on the weekends. Uh, Alcohol overdose, alcohol poisoning, well, You know the phone's going to start ringing about midnight on a Friday and it's not going to quit uh, until about 4.30 or 5.00 in the morning and then it'll do the same thing on Saturday nights. Uh, basically, you'll be dealing with kids that have had too much to drink. Um, supportive care, airway, breathing, circulation. Uh, you base most of your decisions on how responsive they are to you. If they're somewhat responsive, you can wake them up and, and you know they can communicate with you, then this isn't as bad as you think. If you cannot wake them up, if you can't get them out of a stupor, if they can't protect their airway, then they get a ride to the hospital and, and basically um, fluid. You know, you start an IV, you dilute their blood alcohol as quickly as you can, and hopefully they wake up in a couple hours. Uh, in severe cases, um, they may pump the stomach, but that would that would be something that was almost witnessed where they consumed an enormous amount of, of hard alcohol, and they would want it out of their system so their body didn't try to absorb it. But other than that, They're going to dilute their blood alcohol and let them sleep it off. They may go so far as to intubate them uh, if they can't protect their airway, but it just depends. Um, Withdrawal syndromes, this is hallucination, the seizures, the DTs, um, basically get them in. you know, our management is going to be airway breathing circulation. If they're seizing, we'll probably treat that with benzos, and then they'll handle that from within at the hospital. Rum fits. This is where it's getting getting dangerous. Uh, and the DTs is the most dangerous. And this is usually about three days after they've quit entirely. And this is when The cardiac cycle is getting very, very irritable and um, they may go into cardiac arrest. Uh, Some of these people may be on anabuse, which is a drug that is prescribed to keep them away from it. Um, This will make them violently, violently ill. So you may respond to something like that if they've cheated. Uh, And it really doesn't have to be the consumption of alcohol. As I mentioned in the other presentation, just putting on aftershave or any alcohol coming in contact with their skin.